Welcome once again to another discussion on the Living the Grace Life podcast, episode 15 today. I'm your host, Jim Hobbs, and sitting alongside, as always, studio director, Wayne Delaire of Jump Dog Audio Productions. Wayne, this, you are just, it's, you're not that far away, but this, I think this place should be called Jump Dog Land or Jump Dog World. Yes, Jump Dog Land. What do you think, Wayne? We can sell tickets. <laughs> Jump Dog World. I like that. You like that? Because yes. world would mean like Walt Disney, bigger Yeah, land is land. in California. We don't want to go there. We don't want to count that. This is Jump Dog World. So, yeah. And I'm next to Joe Davis, lead pastor of Grace Life Church in Sarasota. Joe. Man of the street that you are, are you are you handling the heat? We're back to some of the some of the heat here in Florida. Oh no, this, are you, this does is a nothing. man of the street feel heat? No, this that's this is nothing for me. I'm a native Floridian, <laughs> but I will tell you, as one of the results of this podcast, it's changing culture in many ways, as you know. The podcast, yes, is uh, changing. There's a movement. It is afoot. That started about four or five weeks ago. Is this locally, nationally? It's, it's, just, it's, it's just people. Globally? It's just people that are men of the street banding together to change <laughs> the world for better. And uh, I am their leader. Who do you so. who do you picture as the ideal man? Like when you say that word, man, I mean, are you picturing yourself to someone else? Roger Daltrey? Who comes to mind? Yeah, it's not Roger Daltrey. He's too rich. So Bono? It, like I think. If no I, way. That's who I'm no, thinking of when you say man no, of the street. That's not right. No, I'm thinking more Bob Barker. Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Showcase showdown. Yeah, like I think the Bob Barker. Why would he be a he man? He is the of man the of the street of game show hosts, that? if you think about it. I don't know Bob Barker. I'm gonna price is right. I'm gonna it's gonna take a while. He's the man. That's a, he Bob is Barker, the man. I he will is the man of the street. I of will game show never hosts. refute that. And I will not refute chapter five here, Joe, of your book, The Grace Life. What Philippians teaches us about loving one another relentlessly. This chapter, it's called affectionate accountability. But to me, you really get to the heart, I think, of some of what you were really thinking of as you wrote this book, talking about when you do talk to someone, when you do want to give advice, if you see something in someone, you say, oh, you know what? I think I could help you. You don't have the right to start right in and mm -hmm. do that. That's mm -hmm. very interesting. How did, did you, how did you come up with that? Was it just by reading Philippians or where did you start to sense this earning the right thing? It started just with personal experience, uh. practical experience, and then in scripture. That's so great. We'll we're going to dig. We are. Excited. We're going to dig into that. We're also going to be talking to Jerry McCarty. He is the founder of Activate International, an incredible mission organization that goes out and I would say finds churches, but it seems like these churches find him mm -hmm. and they go in, they look, they listen, they see what's happening there on the ground and they really study not only what's happening there, but how they can help. We're going to talk to him and learn more about the places that he's going and what he's doing. And we'll have your questions as well. Remember, email us. You can always email us at Living the Grace Life Podcast, Living the Grace Life Podcast at gmail.com. It's all here on episode 15. Joe, one way I think we can really look at this, what you're talking about, the, the affectionate accountability that chapter five really recommends in the sense you've got to earn this right to talk to people mm -hmm. and let them know what it is that they need to be doing to maybe 
to get closer to what it is that they're supposed to do. We have on the line with us Jerry McCarty, who is the founder of Activate International. It's a global missions organization that's committed to the unity and activation of the body of Christ around the world. Jerry is from Jersey, but he lives on the road leading teams internationally to train, coach, and connect communities of Christians to lead transformation in their cities. Jerry, you and I met over there in Europe and Paris. You are living on the road. How are you today? <laughs> hey, doing well. How are you guys doing? Jerry, it's a pleasure to meet you. I've heard a lot about your ministry. I just find it fascinating. Uh, yeah, great to meet you, Joe. I uh, love uh, listening to your podcast. I've been uh, catching up a little bit and I uh, love you guys' conversation. listen Jerry, to that. It's really great. Jerry, I have to I ask a question. I told you we have lots of Jerry, listeners, are Joe. You, <laughs> Jerry, are you a man of the street? <laughs> you don't have to answer that, Jerry. So you, don't, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> you know, so, all right. I'm just going to suggest yeah, you, you, you leave that one where it is. Jerry, tell us about what is this Activate International? I know you and I have talked a lot about how this has sort of been put together, and you've been the founder of this. You've been doing this a while. Your heart is really for finding these churches, or actually them finding you a lot of the time, globally, and I mean all over the world, and then trying to show them what it is that they might need to do to connect more to and serve their community. So how did you come about this idea and, and what has Christ here really put on your heart for this uh, Activate International? Yeah, well, I, I think growing up for me, my faith and my relationship with Jesus and my experience with uh, the church uh, had a lot to do with what does it look like to put faith into action. Um, so I grew up as a Christian, uh, grew up uh, with a family that went to church, was actively a, a part of things. Um, but there was a couple times where I was really challenged to say, what does this look like in practice? And so I was on uh, some ministry teams as a teenager, and the kind of Bible school I went to was all about getting involved in the city, uh, representing Jesus sharing Jesus. And, uh, and after I got out of school, um, coming back into a traditional church setting was a, was a challenge for me um, because I really appreciated what we talked about uh, on Sundays or other times where we gathered together. But in the back of my mind, I was still wondering, well, when can we do this together? How can we put this into action? And, uh, you know, what does it look like to practice this together? I think there's more. And I think people are gifted for more and want more. And so as I, you know, had my journey with the Lord through that, I did some international missions work for a little bit. Um, for five years, I, I committed to a, a local community in New Jersey. Um, and then five years ago, uh, the Lord started stirring up this passion again uh, to serve internationally. And uh, my my policy, though, wasn't I'm just going to go for it and, um, and and teach people how to uh, do things in different places around the world. My policy was, all right, Lord, if this is you, you mm. open the doors and we'll walk through them. <laughs> and so it was I, it pretty much I get operated that. on faith. <laughs> Jerry, and, uh, I, yeah. I love how you describe that. So it really resonates with me. For our church, you just kind of put words to a feeling that I've had about we we didn't want a church that was that was hamstrung by its building and its full-time staff because then what happens mm. is you ask the question, well, this is great, but when can we do it? The problem mm. is the structure for most churches, 85% of their resources, not just money, but their people, 
go to maintain the building and staff. And it really, mm -hmm. it really limits what you can do as a church. You think you're doing a lot locally, but in reality, it's like 15 to 20% of your resources. Wow. And mm -hmm. I love what you say. And I'm just, I'm just so inspired by how you decide not just to go for a seminar for a week or two weeks, but you'll go to a church for a while. Is that right? You'll go and stay and serve with the people for how long would that be for? Yeah, we go anywhere between one week and a month um, to go and connect with the community. But That's awesome. we're not looking for just one-off trips either. Uh, we're looking for ongoing relationships. And mm. so uh, we, we normally revisit the same people uh, every year, sometimes every That's other perfect. year, um, and sometimes multiple times a year. Wow. And you've got some of these places, Jerry, where I know that you've gone the uh, Philippines, Nepal. I mean, you're going to places all over the world. Ecuador was a big one for you. And, and a lot of these are not safe. I mean, we've been talking about a lot of Christian communities now worldwide. It's not, we know the issues recently in Paris and Sri Lanka, and it's, it's not safe. Indonesia you have here also, Tokyo on your site. How do you find these churches or do they find you? How does it happen? Yeah. Like I was saying, you know, it's that policy of like, okay, Lord, you need to open these doors. Um, I'll give you a couple quick examples. Uh, you know, we, we were at this, this meeting and uh, I, I sat down next to someone. Um, it, it was at a conference and uh, I, I talked to him and said, uh, you know, sir, what, what do you do? And he said, well, um, I'm part of the house of prayer in Nepal. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm like, tell me more. <laughs> so he shared with me a little bit of his vision and what's happening there. It's very inspiring. He asked me about what I do. And I shared very briefly, like, you know, I'm passionate to see uh, the people of God putting their faith into action. And after he heard my very brief <laughs> description, he said, I think that's what we've been praying for. <laughs> I said, wow. really? <laughs> he said, would you come to Nepal and work with us and help us to, to learn about what that could look like. I said, I would love to. <laughs> so moments like that, um, you know, when someone says, I think what you're talking about is what we've been praying for, are a little bit of an indicator to me that I think the Holy Spirit's doing something here. <laughs> and so maybe we should be <laughs> obedient to this direction. <laughs> I'll say. Jerry, what you're describing, it really does remind me of Paul. One of the sections in the chapter about affectionate accountability, I've titled it, Paul Earned the Right. The Philippians loved him because Paul didn't just come and uh, do a seminar. He lived with them, worked with them, did their stuff, and he would come back multiple times, like you just said, and he earned the right not only to hold them accountable, but to encourage them. And so it sounds to me like, I don't know if you intended it this way, but it really kind of is following the model of how Paul was shepherding all these churches in Asia Minor when he was going around like a circuit, going from Corinth to Philippi to Colossae and all these. So I don't know if that was your plan, but have you ever recognized that you're like a mini Paul? <laughs> well, it, I find it pretty inspiring, you know, reading through the New Testament, but it's also, it also has been affirming because for a while I was thinking like, what are we doing? Is this okay? <laughs> this is a very different style of doing missions work. And then, yeah, like you're saying, I started reading and I, I'm like, wow, okay, this is how people did this for, you know, in the, in the New Testament, many times they would go to place to place. They would develop relationships um, that, were, that were ongoing for the future. So, so yeah, I do find that very inspiring. And, and I'm, I'm just grateful for 
all the friendships that the, the Lord connects us with around the world. Yeah, you've taken that mission. I mean, on your website, which a lot of people can find it at activateinternational.org. It was also at serving.world, but really Activate International is what you guys are doing now, especially in all these different communities. You say here on the site, your mission is to train Christian communities around the world to activate deeper relationships with God, his family, and their cities, then to connect like-hearted communities and leaders with each other to inspire kingdom growth around the world. So when you hit the ground, isn't that like... And I I love that. That was going to be a question I have for you. How much... Have you gotten to the point where there is some interaction between the churches you've served? Like they talk to each other? Oh, yeah. I think that's a that's a fun part of this whole thing is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we, to, I think this, to speak to uh, the point you guys are talking about as well, one of the values for us is to always come in as learners. Um, mm. You know, we, we don't try to come in as the experts. Um, you know, this is the way to activate. Uh, we we want to learn what is God already doing here? What's What's happening in your community? Uh, and, you know, let's pray into this together, and then we see how the Holy Spirit leads to take further steps. Um, but as we're doing that, a lot of times what happens is, hey, did you know that there's a group in Brussels, Belgium, that, you know, they're mm-hmm. serving their city in this way? Or did you know that there's a, there's a group of people who are fervently praying for their city and with their city, um, like we were saying before in Kathmandu, Nepal? I'd love to connect you with them. And uh, it's and I love that part of everything, like connecting people together around the world so that we're connected, inspired, and, and, and journeying together. Wow. It's, it sounds a lot the way Paul describes Epaphroditus to the Philippians in chapter two, when he says, look, I want to tell you about this guy, Epaphroditus. He was serving you from another community, mm-hmm. and he was bringing this, these, this letter to you, and he came back, and he, and he almost died serving you. And it sounds, it's like an example of another church that Paul was ministering to sent a guy who was relentlessly serving this other church that he loved. And uh, I bet you it's just a matter of time before you begin to see some of these other communities send servants to these other churches that you're serving and they start cross-pollinating themselves like that. I think that's going to be fabulous. Oh, man. Yeah, I love that. that. Love it. That's so cool. <laughs> it's so viral. That's the thing nowadays. It can get so, and you're able to. I mean, I the, what blows me away is what Joe was saying here, where you you're looking for a sustainability factor. This isn't a one-off conference or hey, two days, top five ways we can change your oh. church for the next ten years. Like you're like, <laughs> no, I'm showing up here. I'm not even sure. This is the greatest, the humility part. We talked about it earlier in the chapters. I'm not even sure what's going on here. I don't know what I'm doing. I was just called here because I sat next to a guy who told me he'd been praying for me. Here I am. What do you know? You guys tell me what it is that you're doing. Your credibility, which Joe has on page 65 of the book, talking about Paul's credibility, your credibility by showing them this relentless affection and motivation and 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 the confidence and commitment you have in them. It's not you're the leader, watch me do this. Hey, bye, I know that was a great show, like we see a lot of the times. There is no show. In fact, the show is the church. And you're trying to say, show me what it is that your show is, and then let me learn from that. What's the biggest success story? Like, can you use one example of, wow, you guys got there and we're like, holy cow, we, we knew we had something here, but we didn't know we had this going on. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we see several things in progress, but one of the, one of the stories that, that we see that's, that's really come to fruition. Um, you know, we've been connecting with churches in the Philippines 
And what mm. we found is that there are so many young people that are like on fire for God. And really, see, we get that lost. A, we don't get that here in the states. We need to see more of that. That's great. Mm, yeah. And so when when we visited and we would meet them, we found that they would come to every meeting that was at the church. Even they had these early morning prayer times, and all these youth would come. Like they were they were on fire. They loved the Lord. Um, but when we came as the visiting missionaries, a lot of times they would bring us around to visit people in the community who were sick or elderly. And, uh, and we would have meaningful times as kind of the visiting missionaries to go and visit people. And then we were saying, well, wait a second, you know, can we bring the youth with us? <laughs> the, the youth who are on fire, who are living here, who are part of this community. Um, you know, what if it was part of them practicing their faith that they didn't just come to all the church functions, but they were really involved with their community. They were involved with those who were sick, shut-ins, elderly, and they were building relationships. They were the ones there praying with them on a consistent basis. And so that's that's part of um, the conversation and the training and what we've been working with some of these churches. And now we're seeing that happen. We're seeing youth involved. We're seeing them visit people. Um, we'll get updates, and you know, here's a photo of one of our young people uh, praying with a with an elderly woman and leading her to Jesus. We're like, that is awesome! <laughs> like, yes. You know what? I, I, just, I just had a great idea. I just had a great idea. We might need you to lead a team of some of those young people to come to Grace Life and teach us some things. I think that would just be like amazing. Like, you pick three or four of those kids and just bring them to Grace Life and say, "Well, this is how we do it." I don't. This yeah. is how our kids work our young people work in japan or wherever it is they're yeah. from anyway i just i found that i find that amazing so um i'm already jealous of like uh what you're teaching them and i i don't want you to teach me though because you're american i want jo them to come <laughs> I, I want them to come and teach me what joe you taught. wants you to get them and bring them here with and then you just be Sarah quiet jerry and you just let them do all the work <laughs> If that's that what it's, awesome. well, Jerry, man, I tell you, it's great to hear from you. It's great to talk to you. Your stories are so, we should, let's get you, we'll get you at down here to Sarasota. We would love, love to, to have you here and to talk more about it. If people want to learn more about it and want to give to your, uh, Act Activate International, it's activateinternational.org. Is that right? That is. Yep. That's right. Okay. So they can find out more information there. There's more giving. You guys are going to be, you're headed off to Brussels, I think, next. What's planned for you in the very near future? Yeah, so I'm leaving on Tuesday. I'm in the States right now in New Jersey, um, but I'm leaving on Tuesday. I'll be heading down to Ecuador. I have an amazing group we're working with uh, there. Um, then I'll be heading to Brussels and then back to Southeast Asia to connect with our friends in the Philippines and in Indonesia. Excellent. That's awesome. We got to figure out a way to meet him. So. Yeah, yeah, Jerry. You next. You might be be watching your inbox there. <laughs> you might be headed to Sarasota on your list. Jerry, thanks for everything. Good luck with Activate International, and just keep on spreading the the kingdom word. That's just that's great stuff. Thanks for being on the show. Good work, brother. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. invited jerry here joe i mean yeah, I he might be that on a happened, plane that just sudden, came out yeah i gotta talk to my wife we might need to get well, a room ready it's so interesting because you started grace life you've talked about this on the show mm -hmm. that the church at philippi and it's interesting that jerry mentions 
the the Philippines, but mm-hmm. that you, this church in Philippi really hit your heart. You really, this is what you wanted to do. It seems like he's kind of doing the, the same thing there. And as you're feeling that, the people and the way that you see them reacting and the way you want to help them, that's in a way why it seems like you almost wrote this chapter, which is you wanted to really help them, but to really help them, you almost need to think first, wait, can I say something before I help them? Is that? Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because what the, what the American church wants to do is they want, and there's nothing wrong with this. It's part of the plan, but they think that money earns the privilege. Programs earn the privilege. Even benevolence earn the privilege. No, it's not just about providing a need. It's also spending time with someone, letting them vent, letting them share what's going on in their life, being there on a regular basis. So it's not just like a random connection. Uh, We want to set up ministries that meet with the people that we're trying to earn the right with on a weekly basis, mm. like our Grace Life Recovery Ministry, uh, the Deep End Ministry, the Food Pantry. We we want to see these same people that aren't in our fellowship over and over again and develop a relationship. And at some point, and it's almost supernatural, you know when it happens that you've earned the right because they let you know. Huh. And, and to me, that is one of the most exciting parts of ministry is when there's enough affection built up between you and other another person that they are basically saying, okay, now I give you the privilege of holding me accountable spiritually. It's such a humbling honor when somebody does that. Yeah. And they may not even say it that way, right. but they may come to you and say, hey, pastor or Jim, I'm really struggling with this. And I noticed you were talking about it with someone else last week. How do you go through that? That's, and all of a yes, sudden you've earned the right. right. And you don't, yeah, it's not like they say, so, okay. So to get to this then, page 64, you say, affection and accountability seem like they don't usually go together when it comes to our jobs <laughs> and bosses <laughs> might be good at this and that. However, if you've ever had the privilege to work with a supervisor who holds people accountable and is still affectionate, you know what a great work environment is produced because biblical accountability <laughs> is affectionate. Mm-hmm. Jesus set the tone for this throughout the Gospels. Time and again, we see him interacting with people with kindness and devotion without compromising his standards. This powerful passage here from Paul in Philippians shows us how affection and accountability is a crucial component of grace life. So you're saying that when it comes to someone entrusting you with whatever it is that they've got that's on their heart that they're struggling with, you have to earn that right mm-hmm. by what you just said, being there. And over time, there's no shortcutting this. Here's a great example. The book of first John, it's kind of harsh. John, the elder is kind of harsh. He says some things that are pretty straightforward, but he also calls them little children all throughout yeah. it. Yeah. And so from the outsider looking in, we read first John and think, man, you know, if John can say that, then I'm going to say it. But what we miss in the historical context, this is why the historical application of Scripture is so important. John's uh, harsh, direct speech with them has been earned because he has been shepherding. Once Paul was off the scene, John kind of comes in and takes over that job in Asia Minor for those Uh churches, and he's shepherding them. He was basically Paul's stand-in. And so John has earned the right to say these things to these people. 
And the American church sometimes will just read the Bible, read the book of James or read John and will say, well, this is my job. I've got to be like John and no, uh-huh. John earned that privilege. It's, it's so important for us to understand that, that for us to be really effective, we have to also be really humble in how we serve before we have the, the, the privilege of teaching. That's a great example there because with Jerry talking about it, then going on the ground, living, because when he goes, I mean, this is not the four seasons. I, I've seen his pictures and I some of the stories that he, mm-hmm. I mean, they're on the ground sometimes. When you, when they say they're going on the ground, they're on the ground sleeping. So if um, we put him up in a tent in my front yard, he'll be okay he with that? He will love it. Okay. <laughs> He won't be doing thread counts. <laughs> that's <laughs> not going to happen. And that's what's so, so there's, there's a credibility, I think is what you're saying. And you allude to that in both page 65 and 66, that you had said that Paul was under house arrest and basically, you know, sending Timothy would likely make Paul's incarceration even lonelier, more emotionally challenging. Uh, Paul was going to do it. Like it didn't really matter what was best for Paul. He was going to go ahead and say, you know what? I'm going to take accountability to this because, as you also say here later on page 66, shepherding without accountability is political love that runs only on the surface. Mm. What do you mean there? Well, okay, so shepherding, I put that in quotes. What do you mean by that? Okay, being a pastor, being a small group leader, being somebody who's spiritually, quote unquote, in authority, whatever. People are looking up. To, if you for shepherd, guidance, right. mentor. Yeah, if yeah. you're shepherding without accountability, what you're really saying is, I don't really want to put the time in to earn the right to hold you accountable. I just want you to think that I like you so that our church can get what it can out of you and help us be more successful. It's not about serving, it's being selfish. And so for us as pastors and as shepherds, if we aren't looking to earn through humble service the right to hold people accountability, we are actually doing ministry in a very selfish way self-centered manner because we are staying clean. We're not getting dirty. We're not sacrificing. We're not serving. I'll tell you, church is real easy when it's just the warm hugs on Sunday morning. Oh, great sermon, pastor. Good music. Okay, you'll see you next week. Church is easy as long as they keep giving. Hey, it's great. And it is selfish for churches to really understand affectionate accountability they have to know that if they are shepherding people and there's no accountability there, they're not really shepherding. They're they're manipulating. Yeah, it's like we said a show in a little bit. You know, it's like, hey, here I'm. It's like when you know, and this is the disadvantage I think we have with social media and with people out there watching what would be called religious programming, and they're seeing, like we said, this top five ways to get your blessings <coughs> and top ten mm-hmm. ways that what's owed to you is what you're going to have and. What you're saying here on this lack of accountability to me becomes what you later say, trust and expectations are the key because proof of intimacy is important. So you're saying on that aspect to have a proof of intimacy with, like for me, it seems like I will have people come up to me that might be looking for advice and might need some help in an area only if I've said that I've struggled in an area, like let's take alcohol for me mm-hmm. or whatever the issue might be for someone else. They'll be like, dude, well, 
it's I've seen you struggle with this you're, and I don't even have to have the answers. I just tell my story of like, wow, look at all this stuff I messed up. Your vulnerability. Vulnerability. That, and that's one of the things we talk about in the yeah. book. Your vulnerability has taken down a barrier. Mm. Vo- See, people don't realize we're so afraid of vulnerability, right. but vulnerability is actually a great form of service. It is a great form of service to other people. When you say, you know what? Unasked for by you. I know you haven't sought this. I am going to make myself vulnerable for you so that you know that I'm willing to be intimate. Sometimes people might not take you up on it. That's fine. Sure. But our vulnerability is really, truly one of the best ways to serve one another. And so the vulnerability, intimacy, and accountability, it all kind of comes together. If there is no Mm. accountability, that means there's no intimacy. If there's no intimacy, you're just going to church. You're not living the grace life. Zero, right? There's no hope. There's no way you can because it's not real. That's what I think is the way you, and then you're not living an authentic, congruent life with any, like the whole fake, the whole idea of manipulation becomes a factor because you're trying to put on an image of something in your mind that you think is what you want to be perceived as or what you wish you were or what you're thinking. And and I've just, I just know from, and when we started our company, uh, CheapCaribbean.com, when we had crisis, when no one, they were like, why, Jim, you know, why do people have these stories about him? They'd always say, just wait hmm. until something crazy happens. And then watch yeah. what he does. And it wasn't always good what I did. It's not like I, I was getting it all right, but I would jump into the fire and be like, we had a resort that closed down in Porta Plata, Dominican. We had 250 customers that the resort 10 a.m. on a Saturday walked out the door. They put yellow tape. I guess they ran wow. out of money and they said, bye. And so I'm getting all these phone calls from people saying, hey, we've got people in the Dominican Republic. So you're going down a, there. I went, I got, I drove to Newark from Philly, got on a nonstop from JetBlue. I was there in like six hours. And I was, they, uh, they wanted to, they wanted to kill me. Their vacation but was you didn't totally, hide from it. No, yeah. I said, hey, it's my, I'm Caribbean Jim. Uh, this, this really, this sucks. Um, <laughs> I get it. So guess what? This vacation is on us. Because it's, even though, I didn't even say even though we didn't do it. This is a mess. This vacation's on us. And you don't get all that much time off work. Your next vacation Mm -hmm. is on us. I mean, I went from the scapegoat to crowd surfing, you know, in the middle of a Chinese bar that was at this restaurant next door. It was amazing. Like, but it was only because, and no one took the free vacation later. I don't know what happened. But end of the day, it's, it's crisis, right? It's pain yeah, well, and suffering that brings us together. I'm going to flip this whole thing on its ear. Okay. You know, sometimes when you feel like you need to hold someone accountable and they don't respond well, your first reaction is, well, they didn't hear me. Mm. You ever think about the possibility that the failure was you because you had not earned the right to take them to that level yet? And so when you look for, and you're in a relationship and you're trying to hold them accountable, and I'm not saying always, maybe it takes time before they come back around. Maybe it's not always that they respond perfectly right away. But if you try to hold someone accountable and it just goes catastrophically, it might be a sign that you did not earn the privilege and that the the accountability process was your failure, not theirs. That's good. 
I'm going to remember that. That's really good. Well, it's been a great episode, Joe, episode 15 of Living the Grace Life. If you've got a question, and I'm sure you do after all that, just email us at livingthegracelifepodcast, livingthegracelifepodcast at gmail.com. That is our show, though, for today. We have worked our way into chapter. Joe, at this pace, how many chapters do you have here? Ten. Ten? We're just started five, so it looks like 2024, we are done. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> That's when your next book has to come out. That's our show for today. On behalf of Pastor Joe, studio producer Wayne Delaire, and the entire team at Jump Dog World Audio Productions, I'm Jim Hobbs. See you next time. And remember, whatever you do each and every day, keep looking to Christ so he can keep you living the grace life. Thank you.